Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of Believe Podcasts and the Buzz Radio Network. Former Arkansas Razorback baseball player Tyler Spoon. You have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and the <laughs> former head athlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain. D1Baseball.com editor Aaron Fitt. And current Razorback freshman star Devo Davis. Mr. Ryan McGee. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. A Razorback great and current SEC Network basketball analyst, Pat the Shooter Bradley. Here are your hosts, Kyle Sutherland, Kevin Bohannon, and Porter Hayes. Welcome in to episode 217 of the one and only Hog Talk Podcast, live from the Heinemann Services Studios. I am your host, Kyle Sutherland. And whether you're listening on 1067 The Buzz 2 or your favorite podcast platform, we sure appreciate you coming to spend some time with us. If you're on one of the forums, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you have not already. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you could please be so kind to leave us a five star rating and written review to help us get our name out there and continue to reach more people. The show is brought to you, as always, by our friends at Bet Online. They are your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated website and interface plus more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be your number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus off your first deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Got another great one for you here in just a second. Coach Cabo and Porter are joined by Josh Pate of 247 Sports. Josh covers a variety of college football nationally, and he's been really high on the Hogs as of late. Uh, he's made them a focal point. I don't, I don't want to say a focal point, but has uh, talked about Sam Pittman, the culture that he's built there, and uh, just how great they've played so far this season. And so look forward to hearing his insight there. And then in the final segment, I visit with Travis Brown from the Eagle in College Station. Travis actually joined us last year on the show right before Halloween when we had played uh, A&M around that time. And a lot of great insight from him. And so... We'll kind of break down uh, some of the uh, things on offense, defense, and injury updates and uh, everything in between on that. And so I won't ramble on anymore. Uh, We'll go ahead and get right into it. We're going to hit a word uh, from our sponsors really quick. So do not touch that dial. You are listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of Believe Podcast and the Buzz Radio Network. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely, and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. Tackle your to-do list without breaking your back or getting your hands dirty by calling Heinemann Services. Located in Northwest Arkansas, Heinemann Services is your premier company to get those projects done that you've been putting off. Whether small remodels, lawn care, carpentry, and much more, they take care of you in a timely manner with exceptional customer service. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Welcome back to episode 217 of the Hog Talk Podcast. I'm Kevin Bohannon, joined by my man Porter Hayes. And we go to the Workman's Travel Center hotline, where we are joined by National College football contributor for 24-7 Sports, Josh Pate. Josh, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, it's a big week up here. Really big week. You know, I did not realize until I was doing some stuff with CBS today how infrequently Arkansas has been on that CBS game of the week since, you know, like back 06, 07, the McFadden era. Um, it has not been nearly frequent enough, so I'm very, very happy to see that changing. Definitely, yeah. 06, 07, and then 2010, 2011, we had quite a few games on there, but the last eight years, 
I, I bet we've only probably been on there, what, two or three times quarter? Yeah, and I, I think our uh, coaching staff and all that had a little bit to do with that, you know, but hopefully things are changing now. <laughs> oh, well, Josh, man, I greatly appreciate it. We know you got a really busy schedule um, with, with your podcast, Late Kick Live, and uh, the, the podcast. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, we're doing it Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights. It's live. It's 8 Eastern, 7 Central over on the 24-7 YouTube channel. Uh, but it's been really fun, man, because, you know, I, not too long ago, was just working in a fabric warehouse. And so I did all this stuff for fun anyway. Like, it's a hobby for me. Yeah. I hope they don't ever find that out and find out <laughs> they can stop paying me. But it is absolutely doing your hobby for a living. But it's been really fun because what we've been able to do with this is I've, I've I just get to pick where I go every weekend, which is uh, the literal definition of a dream job, by the way. And so a couple of weeks ago, there was a conundrum, man. Like I wanted to go to Fayetteville and I wanted to go to the Iowa, Iowa State game and I wanted to go to Columbus, Ohio. And I ended up going to Iowa, Iowa State. And it was up there that I was sitting there steadily getting updates on my phone. Arkansas has this big a lead over Texas. Arkansas has that big a lead over Texas. And I could I didn't even have to watch I did not even have to be seeing it live to understand what was in all likelihood taking place inside that stadium. And sure enough, had a couple of folks who cover the hogs text me. And then I go back and watch the replay. And that was amazing. That is a better atmosphere. I don't know if people realize that that ends up being a better atmosphere than any championship game you go to because it's a totally different feel at a championship game. So that that you guys got to experience that night there in Reynolds Razorback, that is as special as it gets. That's what college football is about. And that's what, hopefully like I try and put myself in position to experience that. And man, I'm kicking myself for having not been there that night. Yeah. It, it was years of frustration and year of just waiting for that big win. When we were talking about, you know, how the team performed, I mean, that game was hype. We felt the buzz in Fayetteville since Wednesday and just for them to come out and perform the way they did. And just to, I mean, beat Texas in the manner they did running the ball. It was just vindication for the fans. And it's like 12 years of frustration came out onto that field. But but to your point about trying to travel the game, you, you need to uh, just get you one of them news chopters like they used to do at the high school games. <laughs> you go to one game for a quarter, then you fly to the next game for a quarter, you know, <laughs> bring you some outkick footballs and toss them out to the fans. Yeah, that's got to be our next step there. That's probably <laughs> probably weeks away. I can see it right now. The late kick logo on the there side. You go. Josh just drops on in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, pending FAA approval, I'm all on board with it. Sweet. You just fly, fly at about 750 feet and dodge some skyscrapers, and I think you'll be okay. Well, Josh, before we get into the Arkansas stuff, what what is this has been one of the craziest starts to the season that I can remember in a while with all these ranked teams losing, top teams just not looking up to themselves. Uh, you know, what has been the biggest surprise, good and bad, so far this season? Well, that's not been a surprise to me. That was a drum we started beating in July. I mean, yeah. we made up a term for it. We, we made up the term renaissance season because I thought just that. I thought that you're always going to have what I call the redwoods of the sport. You're always going to have those tall trees, those big programs that stand out. And, yeah, Alabama's still visible. They're up front. Ohio State's still up front. Like, Clemson is still up front. But two of the three programs I just mentioned have already lost a game, and it ain't October yet. So, yes – it stands to reason we got a little bit different landscape on our hands this year. And it's just, it's a year, I think, where even at 24-7 sports, when you look at the overall team talent composite, that can fool you. That can mess you up because football is a lot more about talent. It's, it's, it is a sport that runs on having talented players, but you've got to have them developed and evenly distributed. If I got 50 five-star linebackers, I got a really talented roster, I'm going to suck as a team. And so you got a lot of programs out there that are used to having next-level quarterback play that just have really good quarterback play right now. Well, that's a problem because that's like Nolan Ryan not having his fastball. If, oh, you're yeah. a crafty, if you're a crafty veteran who gets by low 90s, upper 80s, you got a secondary pitch, tertiary pitch, whatever the word for fourth pitch is. you got those things in your back pocket. Some of these programs had not had to worry about throwing a curveball because they've had that elite quarterback, and that's what Ohio State's going through right now. Clemson's going through it right now. Uh, Bama, I think Bryce Young's playing better than all of them, but at the same time, like they've had issues on the line of scrimmage. And so what it does is it also should caution people to not 
act like they normally do when a team loses a game early. It's happening with North Carolina. That's a perfect example right now. UNC loses. It's the first game we all watched. It was Friday night, week one, and they lose on the road. And people shift into that default playoff setting mode where as soon as you lose a game, you're done. Not this year, you're not. And there is going to be one or two or three teams that get left for dead early that pick themselves up and get themselves right back in the thick of things in November. And that's even if you're worried about talking about playoff. I don't even start doing it until later in the year. Right now, I'm just having fun watching how many programs matter, how many programs are moving the needle coast to coast, because that's the way it should always be every year. Yeah, and the early talk is you look at somebody like Cincinnati, who's right there inside the top ten, and they're thinking, well, is this year somebody from the, the G5 makes a move and is able to get into the playoffs because the heavyweights are going to knock each other out so many times. Yeah, and I'm normally one who's not on board with that concept. It's a long-standing uh, stance I've had about G5 inclusion into the playoff. But how I feel is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my personal, personal preference is irrelevant. How I feel is absolutely yes. I had a fight with our folks internally about that uh, at the beginning of the year because they wanted to pretend like it's an actual written rule that a G5 team can't be in the postseason, and that's garbage. It, just because mm-hmm. they haven't doesn't mean they can't. There's a big difference between have not and cannot. And so far, the landscape has not supported a G5 team being included. Well, this year you got a different landscape. And so I, absolutely I think that's in play. And speaking of that, I mean, is that what it's going to take? Like you said, that renaissance year where there's just chaos and there's that one lone team that basically the committee has no other choice but to put – like they're almost forced to put them into the college football playoff. Well, I think two things are in play. Number one is what you just mentioned, but you also got to understand the problem those G5 teams have had is they've always had to come from the back of the pack. They've always been coming from out of nowhere. None of them have ever started the season perceptionally in everyone's top 10. Cincinnati's starting point this year is where a lot of them had to fight 10 or 11 weeks to get. And secondly, the percep- I think the overall perception and reputation of the American Athletic Conference has pulled even or maybe even slightly ahead of the Pac-12, for example. And so Good you point. win that conference, and if you do that along with a win over Indiana and a win over Notre Dame, I think people are rightly going to look at that kind of resume and say, well, this impresses me as much as winning the Pac-12 with a loss does. I would actually agree with that, and I've never said that before. So I think it's not always a static environment. Every year brings its own set of parameters, and this year I think is unique enough to where, you know, even I wouldn't have that big a problem with it, and I've never supported a G5 team being in the playoff. Let's talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks, reason we're here. Sam Pittman in year two has done things that nobody thought he could do, and a lot of national media pundits and prognosticators have come out and said, okay, I'm going to eat my crow. I'm wrong. We were wrong to this point. Talk about it in your eyes. Where is this program at right now? Uh, They are, they're at sort of an inflection point and they're not only serving the fan base there. I think it's a service to college football. I've been very outspoken about this. I am trying to talk Arkansas on a national level as much as possible because I think their formula is the answer to a critical issue we have in the overall landscape of college football right now. There is, since we were just talking about it, let's go back to it. There is what I think is a misconception that the college football playoff has led to only a few teams being there and then everyone else is just cast aside. And I've never believed that. I've absolutely never believed that. What I think there is in this sport is a fundamental misunderstanding of a proper hiring practice. Because most people go about it the same way and most of them get the same result. I mean, you look no further than the University of Tennessee over and over and over again. There's no excuse for Tennessee to be off the national radar as long as they have been. Everything is set in their favor. And yet it has been. And so now how does this relate to Arkansas? Well, what they did is they went and they hired the guy they thought was right, independent of what anyone else thought. But that's not the end all be all. You could hire someone you think is right and totally bomb. What they did in Fayetteville is they defined critical factors and characteristics that are synonymous with the culture of Arkansas. That list may have no business at UCLA or Oregon State, but it is absolutely the blueprint for hiring a coach at Arkansas. And they never cared what anyone said. They didn't care about winning a press conference. They didn't win about, they didn't care about trending. They didn't care about anything. 
along those lines. They cared about winning and they cared about building the right culture to win. And so they went and got Sam Pittman and it was, it was met exactly the way you just described it. No one nationally was blown away by the hire. I wasn't blown away about it at times, but I also didn't know how to think about it properly at the time. <laughs> and so now people start to, they start to observe, I think, not even the fruit, but just sort of the beginning of the blooming process there. And there's still going to be some bumps along that road. But the difference is you can feel it. You don't have to live in Arkansas. You can feel it. I'm in Nashville. We got people in L.A. We got people in New York. You can look at that and you can look at the way that everyone there is embracing what's happening. It's a, it's, it's a quantum effect. It's a springboard effect in terms of result when culture starts to manifest itself. And then finally, you start to see some result on field. That's what they're doing at Arkansas. I hope, and I think they are, I hope a lot of people that are about to be in positions to make their own hires are watching what's happening there because that is a new school model that should not be new school. That should always have been the way people were going about it. Uh, Unfortunately, it hasn't been. And so hats off to Arkansas. I think they're doing Arkansas fans a huge favor, but I think they're doing college football a huge favor. Yeah, and another school. I watched one of your uh, your takes today, and this is going to please my father-in-law because he's a big Michigan State fan. And we've actually had that same conversation for six-plus years now, just how similar the two programs are and now what they're doing with their coaches and, and how they hired Mel Tucker. You're bringing somebody familiar with the program, and but they also know the culture. And, you know, what you like you said, hopefully this spreads out and it really teaches other schools to – Hey, let's do try to do the same thing. That way we're having a lot of, you know, coaches that are staying around five, six, seven years instead of every two years. It's like a revolving door of coaches and buyouts. Yeah, and I'll tell you what else it does. It avoids college football getting into that kind of incestuous hiring pool that the NFL finds itself in sometimes, where it seems like there's just this, this stagnant pond of candidates, and they look like they're all printed off the same sheet of paper, And it's just there's no creativity. There are no opportunities given. There's no risk taken. And there's no outside-the-box thinking. Uh, Sam Pittman never gets hired as a head coach in the NFL. Someone Never. Nope, never gets hired. In fact, it was was almost unheard of for him to get hired in college football. And yet he did. And so now look at him. And think about what that does. Because you look at Mel Tucker, you look at Sam Pittman. I am big time pulling for Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Because he also fits this mold of a guy that matched a culture criteria checklist at a place, this in this case, South Carolina. And that's just another one to look at. If those kinds of guys are succeeding, it makes people fundamentally shift the way they view a hiring process. And it also by default shifts the kind of candidate they're willing to consider. And that's a good thing. Do you think it's just, you know, how society is now? Everything's now faster, faster, faster. Do you think that plays into you know, what's going on with these coaches? If they're not winning in two, three years or four years, we're going to find somebody and try to get the new hottest thing to come in and see if they can turn around a program in two to three years, opposed to look like what coaches Dabo Sweeney and Venables and Elliott and them have done in seven, eight years at Clemson. And now what Pittman's doing at Arkansas, do you think that's what's caused a lot of this is just that pressure. If you lose one or two games, your season's over of the national championship. And then, if you don't win enough games, you're automatically, you know, you got that pressure third year. If you don't win X amount of games, you're out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I'll tell you one of the biggest realizations I came to when I was finally given the ability to do this for a living and to cover this stuff. When I was a fan, when I was growing up, when I was just observing the sport from afar, I always thought that people in the athletic director's chair and, and boosters and board of trustee members, I always thought they had all the answers. I always thought they were the enlightened class that understood how to think at a different level than little old me. And they had this magic formula and list of ingredients that it takes to be a coach. And they would never screw up the hiring process. And then I got to see behind the curtain. And this does not just relegate itself to college. This exists in the NFL too. A lot of these folks, when they go inside their office, I'm speaking from firsthand experience now, A lot of them, the first thing they do is they turn on ESPN or they go to 247sports.com. These people are not all that different than the rest of us. They have worked (laughs) their way up the ladder. They got a break here and there, and they ended up in a chair that sometimes they're qualified for and sometimes they're not qualified for. I'll tell you what they're qualified to do. The modern-day athletic director, eight or nine times out of ten, 
is in that position because they're great at fundraising. Well, yeah. that's, that's all well and good. But a lot of times the best fundraiser does not, does not make the best evaluator of coaching talent, shall we say. And right. so you end up in a mess and you ask yourself, how did we get here? Well, you had the wrong folks driving the train. That's how you got there. They don't hire search firms just for anonymity. They hire search firms because they don't have a clue what they're doing in a lot of cases. And so, yes, to answer your question that you asked about three minutes ago, absolutely. I think that's the direction it's headed. But also there is a misunderstanding about how progress and the process therein happens. Everyone thinks it's linear. Everyone thinks, okay, you do this, and the next year it'll be 20% better, and then the next year it'll be 40% better, and then we'll just arrive. That's not the way it works. Georgia Tech football, for example, last year, to start the season, they beat Florida State. And a lot of people were fooled into thinking, all right, here we go. The climb has begun. It had not begun yet. They had not bottomed out as a program yet. And I'm telling you right now, it's not linear. You could look at the overall trajectory of Georgia Tech football. They lost a game last week, for instance, to Clemson. It may very well be that if you were to draw a line between that win against Florida State last year and a loss against Clemson, if you were to just draw a line from one to the other, it looks like the line's going down. But it may be that there's a trough between those. And the win at Florida State was part of being on your way down. And the loss at Clemson the other day may be one of the first steps on the way up. That's the way it works if you understand how to have proper perception. If you don't, you panic and you fire guys. And then you start paying buyouts. And then you got to skimp on stuff. And then all of a sudden you're paying another buyout for another staff. And then you're Tennessee. <laughs> and next thing you know, it's a dumpster fire. <laughs> so, all right. You talked about the inflection point. I'm really glad that you said that because I, I said that Texas would be a really good resume win for Sam Pittman and this program based on where we're at right now. Texas A&M would be that second step to where we're at. If you look at the statistical breakdown, you know, pretty even, you know, across the board for, you know, as much as you can beat through three games, uh, their offense really hasn't performed because obviously Haynes King went down and Calzada has been inconsistent back there. You know, if you look at the passer efficiency rating, their defense is stout. There's no doubt that this is going to be the biggest test, especially with Arkansas have, possibly having a couple linemen out. Uh, give us uh, some, some quick keys to how Arkansas can win this game. you got to be careful on early down tendency. This goes for both teams in this game. I think because of the hesitancy, if you're missing linemen, or on the other side, your hesitancy because you have a green quarterback, you have – you, you run the risk. I don't care how many plays you've called in your life. You run the risk of working yourself into predictable play calling situations on early downs. And these defensive staffs are plenty good enough to figure it out. I mean, Joe Schmo on the 35 yard line, smart enough to figure it out after a little while. And the problem therein lies because first down tendencies by default create third down tendencies. And the tendency with that would be both teams getting worked into obvious passing situations. And I'm not sure that's where either one of them want to be. But I'll tell you, lineman or no lineman, K.J. Jefferson's ability to run the ball is not something A&M's had to defend this year. I'm not saying they're incapable of doing it. I'm saying it just provides a different element. And I'll tell you, everyone wants this huge key to a game or they, they want the big play. But the biggest play for Arkansas Saturday will be about half a dozen times where it's third and three or less, and you literally need to be able to fall forward to move the chains. And when yeah. you got a big-bodied quarterback that has the ability to be a true dual threat like K.J. Jefferson, he may make some big plays, but I'm telling you, those chain movers, those fall forward by inches, get first downs, that's the kind of, that's the kind of element you have to have to shave one or two possessions off for the other guy and to keep them for you. And in a close game, a game that figures to be one possession either way, that could end up being the ballgame. Okay, we, we've seen that special teams have, have been really big for Arkansas as far as do they succeed or fail. Uh, and we've seen it in the past. We had a big punt fake down at Jerry World where I forget the, it was from Australia, uh, ran it in for a touchdown. Do you think this could come down to special teams? I think both staffs probably look at it that way. I mean, I think, yeah. I think both coaching staffs, if they, are, if they are mapping out their plan to win this game, I don't think either one of them – are looking in the mirror and saying, well, our offense is going to just fully take care of business here. They right. love for it to happen. But I think they understand, both staffs understand, this has got to be a full team complimentary effort. And if it means turning the ball over a couple of times, that's probably part of the game plan. But absolutely, how do you, get, how do you win the hidden yardage? How do you steal a possession or two? 
that's the name of the game Saturday, and it is by any means necessary. So absolutely, that's going to be a key element here. Don't go to the concession stand on fourth down, in other words. Yeah. Well, Josh, we ask every every media uh, personality that comes on with us, and I know it's Wednesday, it's still a little early, but uh, we ask for your weekly prediction, especially of this game since you're there. Uh, give, give us your thoughts on the game and what the outcome is. Uh, I don't have a problem at all telling you. I think Arkansas is going to cover. I think Arkansas will win the game. There is a one team in this matchup that feels totally comfortable and confident that they know what their identity is, and it's not the favorite. It's Arkansas. And I've watched every snap of Zach Calzada so far. I think in the future he'll be a very capable quarterback, but when I say future, I don't mean 72 hours from now. (laughs) There are a lot of questions, like really good kid, really talented, but there are a lot of questions there, and I just I get really uneasy I don't care what a point spread says at that point. I get really uneasy when I don't see a major quarterback edge on the side of the favorite, and I don't see an identity edge on the side of the favorite. Those kinds of environments, man, like y'all know what it's going to be like there Saturday. You know exactly how hairy it gets there in the third or fourth quarter, and it all falls back on that stuff, that culture, that, that identity. Like that's what it falls back on. You can't quantify it. You don't know how many points that's worth, but I got a feeling it's going to be worth enough to get Arkansas to win. Well, Man, before we, before ahead, we go, I was going to ask you, you know, since you've kind of been showing the, the Arkansas fan base some love, you know, what's your what's your mentions been like since and, and really getting to know the Arkansas fan base? Oh, I love them, man. I, I've always I've looked for any reason to uh, show Arkansas some love for a long time. Like I've always had an affinity for the fan base. I am I am a big fan of watching deserved fan bases get fed. You know, this, I, I keep bringing up Tennessee. It sounds like I'm bashing them. I'm not. It's the opposite. I feel the same way about Tennessee. Those folks keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up, same way Arkansas fans have been, and they've just been shoveled crap for a long time. And it is well past time for them to get some steak on their plate instead. And so it's really funny, or it's not funny, it's fun, period, for me to be able to watch. So the mentions have been exactly as you would expect them. But what I appreciate about it is, you know, I'm not someone – sitting in a studio 2,000 miles away, you know, up in the Northeast that has really never been in the state of Arkansas, can't even pronounce uh, half the towns in your state. Like, that's not me. I grew up down here. I grew up in the East. So, like, I know it. I I am of them. So when I see that energy, I don't just observe it. I feel it. I can can identify with it. I understand exactly what it's about. Josh, we greatly appreciate you coming on. Uh, Let our listeners know where they can find your stuff, uh, social media, and your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, you can find The Late Kick with Josh Pate in any podcast feed. Uh, you can also watch the show Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday night on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And, look, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Like, I'm in a game every week. I get a lot of access to footage and stuff that I can't put on the show. But if you're following on Twitter or Instagram, at Late Kick Josh, it is a really, really good resource on the weekends. A lot of betting stuff on there, too. But it's really fun. It's interactive. I don't know why you would be any other way if you had this job. So I love doing it. <laughs> good deal. Well, hey, man, I greatly appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll definitely see you in Arlington down there. And uh, for my co-host, Porter Hayes, I'm Kevin Bohannon. We want to thank Josh Pate once again. Uh, coming up after the break, our Kyle Sutherland will be on with Travis Brown. We'll see you next time. We pig. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. Tackle your to-do list without breaking your back or getting your hands dirty by calling Heinemann Services. Located in Northwest Arkansas, Heinemann Services is your premier company to get those projects done that you've been putting off. Whether small remodels, lawn care, carpentry, and much more, they take care of you in a timely manner with exceptional customer service. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. We're back on episode 217 of the Hog Talk Podcast. Kyle Sutherland here with you, and we now go to the Workman's Travel Center hotline, and on the other end is Travis Brown from the Eagle in College Station. Travis, I know we talked with you last year before this game. It's good to have you back on again. Appreciate you joining us. 
hey, always glad to be uh, be talking some football. No doubt, no doubt. And I know that A&M had a lot of high expectations coming in off of a great season last year where they only lost to Alabama, but Alabama also beat a lot of people. And haven't allowed more than 10 points up to, up to now, and they've got a shutout to their name. And for the most part, have pretty much done everything that they should do. Are you pretty? Are, are they pretty much where you thought they would be at this point in the season, a quarter of the way through? Uh, not no, not really, because I think that a lot of people thought that uh, they would be kind of rolling through those first three games of the season uh, with most of their defense returning, and and really the only question marks being a quarterback in the offensive line. But in the first game, Haynes King looked exactly like people expected. He, he was pretty good, moved the offense, did what he needed to do, and then went down hurt in Colorado, bring in Zach Calzada, and it was a little bit of a test for him. Now, he's been able to kind of rebound and had a pretty good game uh, against New Mexico last week, but now it seems like the biggest question mark is AM's offensive line. Uh, they really haven't been able to run the ball the last two games, and with uh, Isaiah Spiller and Devon A-Chain, uh, in the backfield as, as they're two, uh, two of their best offensive players. If, if there's no holes for them and they can't do anything on the ground, uh, a one-dimensional A&M offense is not going to be able to do very much come this game in SEC play. So I think that there is a decent uh, more concern with this A&M team at this point in the season than probably anyone expected. I wanted to touch on some of the key points you talked. You talked about the run game. You talked about the offensive line and how they all tie in together. And I was going to mention how Haynes went down, Zach took over, and he's facing a defense led by Barry Odom, one of the best defensive minds in the country, and and really started off great last year before I think some – well. COVID hit us, but also some teams began to figure him out. And But that defense has also really started off pretty well this year, too. And he's going to throw all kinds of looks at A&M. There's no question about that. But they're not short on skill players. And so how do you think an inexperienced QB, and like you said, kind of a struggling offensive line, will do against some of the things that you've seen Barry Odom do thus far? We, uh, well, you know, I'll, I'll go back to what uh, New Mexico was able to do. And it wasn't necessarily the most physically daunting defensive line um, or, or just you know highly touted, but uh, their their uh, strategy over there was and, and, and always is to throw a lot of stunts and slants at an offensive line, ha- have them uh, have their eyes moving and and have to uh, really try to pick up different kinds of blocks coming from different directions. And for the most part, it worked pretty well um, for for what A and M was trying to do um, uh, in the run game. It, pass pass blocking the line the, the line has been pretty good. Um, they and, and Calzada or Haynes King has had a pretty good amount of time to work in the pocket. I, and and I, I don't really have much of a worry for Zach Calzada. I think he did a really good job um, uh, against New Mexico as long as he takes care of the ball and doesn't turn it over, uh, throw, throw an interception um, in the game. I, I, I don't really think there has, has that much to worry about. I think, man, all of the hesitation or, or, or focus needs to fall on that offensive line who, who also might be without um, – Layden Robinson, uh, uh, one of the starters that has started the first two games, got hurt in the Colorado game. Uh, you know, the Kent State game, the offensive line worked, looked pretty pretty good. There was two holding calls that um, might have been the only flaws against them, and it was Kent State, but um, there, there wasn't too much uh, area for concern there. Uh, Robinson went down. They had to shuffle some stuff around, and that's kind of when things started uh, rearing its head. Blake Trainer came in, actually moved – all-American Kenyon Green from the outside, from right tackle to right guard and put Blake Trainer out at right tackle. Uh, and, and he was porous on that side. So it, I think a lot will fall, too, onto the, the shoulders of if Layden Robinson is healthy to play. We asked Jimbo about it today, and he said he's still day-to-day. So we're, we're not quite sure where that stands. And I know that this is natural for fans to do this, but it, it seems like if you go on Twitter, you go on social media, there's a lot of Razorback fans that are basing how Arkansas will do because A&M just didn't look that good against a, a, a I guess you could say a, a average maybe Colorado team. But I think that we become a victim of the moment and really are, it's a bad thing to do that because, you know, obviously different teams play different ways against different looks and different days, whatever you want to call it. But – Surely enough, and again, too, that like we mentioned, that was also when Haynes King went down. But do you think that people are really putting too much stock, possibly? And I don't want you, I don't want to put you on the spot and call it Arkansas fans or anything, but do you think that maybe the nation could be putting a little too much stock in the Colorado game and to really how good AM could be? Yeah, I, I think the Colorado game should be a little bit of an outlier just because you have a quarterback that, um, 
wasn't expecting to play, had already been named the backup. And, and you know, just frankly, you, you can coaches can say all they want that quarterbacks are getting equal reps and they're keeping guys ready, but but you, you, that 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 isn't possible in practice. And there, mo- many coaches will tell you that's just not possible. So Calzado wasn't getting the same kind of reps and same kind of looks that Haynes King was getting. King was getting in practice and. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be some level of rust going into a game like that. And I think he proved that after having a week's full week's worth of practice heading into that New Mexico game, Zach Calzada looked every bit like the quarterback that did challenge Haynes King all the way up till the end of, uh, uh, the, the fall camp. And, and as Jimbo Fisher said, it wasn't that Calzada lost the job. It's just that King had that one little bit of extra edge in the final push and that's what got him the job. So, um, yeah, that Colorado state game's a little bit of, as, as far as the quarterback portion of this all goes, that's a little bit of an outlier. Now it seems like you, you, you move a week past that the offensive line still wasn't able to get a good push for the running backs because the running backs didn't have a great game in uh, Colorado as well. And, and for as long as the game still mattered against New Mexico, um, they, they just weren't finding those holes and those gaps in the run game. And, and that's going to be huge against, against Arkansas. They, they, well, the way Jimbo Fisher put it after the game uh, against New Mexico was they just weren't playing physical football. And if there's a team and a game that you don't want to come with a little bit weaker mentality or not playing physical, it's against Arkansas. Talking with Travis Brown from the Eagle in College Station. And, Travis, before we get into some defense, uh, I wanted to touch on – you've mentioned the run game a couple of times here. And if you look at just the stat sheet, if you haven't watched any A&M football, it looks pretty good. Isaiah Spiller, who's one of the best running backs in the SEC, I think a lot of people would probably say him or Tank Bixby, averaging six yards per carry. And then De- – how do you pronounce Devin's last name again? I've, I've uh, uh, Devon. Devon Aching. Okay, Devon Aching. So I pronounced his first name wrong, too. Well, he's averaging <laughs> almost seven yards per carry. And, and – I would I would wonder just kind of I know you can't predict the future or anything but based on some of the of you watching Jimbo over the last few years and do you think maybe he's going to try to because you know again they may not be running the ball very well but they can they, they with what they're doing with the six and seven yards per carry that that could possibly be something that Jimbo looks at is like well I'm just going to try to run it at their face or I'm going to take a shot down the field and see what I have with Calzada here because Arkansas has done pretty well and much better on the defensive line than they did last year and they know they have a good secondary but I guess really to sum it all up my question is is, do you think he's going to maybe just try to run it at first, or did he think he just really starts going on the air, get one through the air to begin the game? Jimbo Jimbo Fisher is definitely a guy who's who's I don't want to say is set in his ways because he does adapt and 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 transform as the game moves on, but he does have a very specific style of offensive football, and and it all usually pretty much predicates on possession football. He wants to dominate time of possession. Uh, and, and to be able to, and he's okay with going to third down multiple times in a drive, as long as it's third and short, third and manageable, move the chains, run three downs, move the chains and, and, and keep the offense on the field to let the defense get a rest and, and kind of go with that idea that if the other team's offense is on the field, it's a lot harder to score points. Um, that being said, so, so for that system to work, you have to be able to run the ball and, and run the ball in a way that you're not getting behind schedule. Um, I, I, I would be shocked if he came out just trying to hurl the ball around and not trying to establish the run because a, that just doesn't fit his, um, system and B, um, it's just, it's, it's not necessarily eh, filler and a chain are, are his two best offensive players and to just negate them, um, just wouldn't suit the way that the team is built. So yeah, they're definitely. Uh, going to try to establish the run early, I would think. Now, you know, they might uh, go a little bit play more play action pass early, uh, they, they, depending on what the defense gives. But yeah, I, I would think that just, you know, trying to go a little bit more one dimensional or go past more passing heavy would, would certainly not be in the cards for AM. And I just hope that they pay a little bit more attention to Jalen Weidermeyer this year because I know he had his best game against Arkansas last year, so that's one guy that you definitely have to look out for if you're the Razorbacks. But switching over to the defensive side of the ball, you guys, I think you're ninth, and I know you're top ten in the country in total defense right now. And Arkansas really – I mean, you know, I understand they played a, a – 
15th ranked Texas team, but really has not seen that great of a defense thus far. And there's been a lot of polarizing opinions about how KJ Jefferson has played, about how some of the receivers have been inconsistent at times. I know that Traylon Burks finally picked it up and really looked like his old self last week against Georgia Southern. But how do you think this offense fares? I'm not sure how much of you know film or how much you've watched the Arkansas offense, but I know Traylon Smith, our, our number one running back, is a little bit banged up. But we've also had some freshmen behind him stand up. You know, A.J. Green and, uh, and uh, Rocket Sanders, Dominique Johnson. Dominique Johnson's one that has actually surprised a lot of Arkansas fans. But how do you think this fares up, especially with Arkansas possibly having it? It's looking like a good chance that they could have two offensive linemen out. Yeah, I think that um, it's it, – it, I mean, this is one of the best from the start AM defenses that, that I've seen here. It's carried over from what they were able to do last year, and especially they've been able to improve in pass coverage, uh, which wasn't bad. In, you know, last year they were, I think, uh, 70th in the, in the country in, in pass uh, – but they still – pass coverage, but they still were one of the top defenses in the, in the, in the nation. And so I think that um, – if there is a weakness in this A&M team so far, it has been against mobile quarterbacks and, and keeping an eye on them, keeping them contained uh, and, and pushing them to the, uh, to, to an unblocked defender is exactly the way Jimbo Fisher pushed it. It was a big problem against Kent state where their quarterback was able to get some chunk yardage on the ground. And Fisher said after that game, that it was just the, the, the spy player was getting too aggressive and trying to go make the tackle himself instead of just keeping contain and pushing him towards the unblocked defenders. Um, it, it, they, they, I, I'm curious that the linebacking core has not necessarily been tested a whole lot this season. And I'm curious to see how much of some of these early issues, because you, it's hard to kind of necessarily know exactly what they were scheming in those instances, but to see how much of this falls under the shoulders of the linebacking core, and, and if they if they have carried over the same kind of um, talent and, and 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 consistency in years past, um, defensive line has gotten a good push on uh, most of the offensive lines that they've played this year, and 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 brought, gotten a, a good amount of sacks, gotten some good pressure, and, and like I said, the secondary has been pretty great. If you watch the Kent State game a little bit. Uh, because Kent, I mean, Kent State led the, the nation in scoring offense last year, uh, even though it was an all-MAC um, uh, slate. I mean, they, they were an up-tempo, uh, high-powered, uh, throw-it-around offense that was going to get their yards. So they backed off and did a little bit bend and not breaks. So they, they got their yards to the middle of the field, but then they held them once they got in the red zone. And so I think um, th- there could be a chance that if, if K.J. Jefferson gets in a little bit of a rhythm, you might see a little bit of that bend but don't break type of strategy where they where they lock it down once they get down into the, the, the red zone. But yeah, if there's a place that maybe this AM defense looks a little bit soft, it's running through the middle. Um, and, and especially when that is the, the quarterback is the ball carrier. And I know you mentioned a injury there along the offensive line in Arkansas, as I, as I said, has two of those there. Um, that's for the most part, at least where we're looking grim, where we, we might not see those two starters in Dalton Wagner and Ricky Stromberg play. But are there any guys on the A&M defensive side of the ball uh, that we might not see due to injury or anything like that? Uh, well, uh, Keldrick Carper is a, a fifth-year senior who uh, gets some time in at, um, at, at Nickelback. Um, so safety, uh, but Antonio Johnson has really stepped up and done a good job there. Carper was out last week, um, against New Mexico and, uh, was one of the guys listed as kind of day to day this week. Um, but other, uh, other than that, they're, they're, they're pretty darn healthy. Miles Jones is one of their locked, probably their biggest lockdown cornerback. He actually missed the first two games of the season and saw action about, three or four drives uh, in New Mexico. I think they were probably just being hesitant and, and working him w- back in. Brian George has done a good job filling in for him uh, in that position. And so uh, I would assume he would be back, which actually adds a little bit of strength to that team. Defense is pretty solid. It's actually the offensive side of the ball where they're pretty banged up with uh, Anaya Smith leaving the game uh, around halftime last game after almost running two punt returns back for touchdowns when they're, they're kind of when they're big playmakers you have Layden Robinson Caleb Chapman is one of their more veteran vertical threats at wide receiver he missed last week um, as well and that's why uh, Demond Demas and Moose, Moose and Muhammad 
are two guys who, uh, sophomores who stepped in and, and, um, uh, had a little bit more role to play in that game. Uh, there is another injury and I, and I, every time I've talked about it, I keep forgetting exactly who it is. Um, so when that comes back to me, I'll, I'll let you know. Um, but those are the major ones to, uh, to Liz Layden Robinson, Anaya Smith, uh, Caleb Chapman, and actually Keldrick Carper might actually round out the group that that's who, uh, who is the, the key guys that probably would make an impact on the game who are out due to injury. All right, you've talked with me before. You know, I was going to ask you and put you on the spot. Is this the year where the Razorbacks break the streak? We don't let it get to a decade-long Sam Pittman gets to 500. Tell me your prediction. You know, I sure uh, – I, 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 I've said everyone else, if there is going to be a year, it's, it's going to be this year. This is a great Arkansas team. A&M is a team that, that has the target on their back. They have the talent, but they just haven't necessarily had a full game where they've just put everything together yet. I think that there's the potential there um, for this to be as good of a team as last year, but the offensive line just hasn't necessarily gelled together. The running backs, therefore, haven't been able to have the, 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 the holes. They've had a quarterback change. Um, the defensive running quarterbacks, there's been, it just – it just hasn't fully clicked. And it really does concern me when the one thing that is obvious when you see, but also Jimbo Fisher calls out is that there's just been a lack of physicality over the last couple of games for A&M. And, and if you look at, I go back and think about, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I mean, was it four years ago? I think uh, this, this game at at t stadium was when miles Garrett got banged up in the game and he was in and out for most of the season. I go back and think of, uh, was it Austin Allen a couple of years ago? Yes. Who just kept getting hit after hit after hit and stayed in the, I mean, that was one of the gutsiest efforts I'd ever seen of him just staying in that game with the amount of beating that he took. It is a physical game every year. I mean, I, some people, a Jimbo himself called it a rivalry. I think it's a rivalry game as an innocent bystander to the series. Um, but is you could argue that back and forth, but it has that feel of physicality between two teams that know that there's more, more bragging rights at stake than just a normal SEC game. Uh, and so because of that, yeah, if AM doesn't come out with the kind of physicality that they've been known for under Jimbo Fisher, this, this is Arkansas's game to lose. I, I put, if this game's played in Fayetteville, which I know there's a lot of buzz talked about talking about that this year, I think it's a pick or Arkansas is the favorite. Um, I know A&M is about a five-point favorite, but yeah, I, 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 it would not surprise me at all to see – this is going to be a one-score game. I know a lot of people have talked about – and with how weird this game is, I know a lot of people have talked about and thought this might be a real low-scoring physical battle, and because it's usually the opposite of what everyone says, it, it might be a little bit of a shootout. I'm just going to go on a limb. I don't know an exact score, but it'll be a one-score game, and I, yeah, I think Arkansas does win it. Wow. Do you have a actual score that you would that you would be willing to put out there? Just or do you just want to stick with? I know I'm asking a lot. I'll here. just I'll I'll just I'll give it a Arkansas wins by by a score or less. I don't okay. know, and, okay. I, and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a little bit more of a shootout than than people expect. Um, which means now that I've said it, it's going to be the exact opposite. It, it just it, it's such a always such a weird game, and yeah. it always tends to be the exact opposite of what you think going in. No doubt. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, my gut feeling is is Arkansas wins by uh, uh, a score or less. Okay, yeah, I'll tell you, the craziest year I thought was maybe 2018, Chad Morris's first year, and it was only a touchdown. You know, you would think that in both uh -huh. years, but uh, even in 2019, or actually, I think 2019, y'all beat us pretty bad. But uh, 2018, yeah, it was just a it was just a touchdown. 18 game. was the one that went to overtime, and there was an interception in overtime. Yes, there, yeah, they did it with. Yeah. That was the Armani Watts interception, yeah. Yeah, they, and you guys took the opening kickoff back for the – I think it was – yeah, the final score Christian was 24-17. Christian Kirk took it back. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, man, there has been – it's crazy. There's been so many great games in this series, but Arkansas just can never seem – at least it's – it was funny, real quick, before we close it out here, I was saying on the show a couple weeks ago, Arkansas came out with all those welcome to the SEC when we beat Texas. And I was like, well, I was at the game in – the last Arkansas A&M game I went to was in 2011 when we won and the last game for Texas or for yeah AM in the Big 12. And everybody was saying, Welcome to the SEC, all this stuff, chanting the SEC and, and all that. Well, that gave me really bad PTSD because I'm like, We're sitting here <laughs> saying this to Texas now, and we're almost on a decade long streak of uh, losing to the Aggies. So hopefully, 
we'll see how it goes. I, I hope you're right, but uh, yeah, just I'll, definitely. I'll throw this one out. Let me throw this one at you too, real quick, because I'm, I'm I'm curious from the from the Arkansas perspective. I know A and M fans absolutely, which is weird because it's still in the state. And again, I, I didn't go to A and M, so I'm an innocent bystander to all this. But A and M fans just do not want to have this game at AT and T Stadium anymore. And I know Sam Pittman was talking about wanting to have it back at home after A and M had it home this year. What is Arkansas fans' perspective on the game at AT and T? Because I know there's the kind of cliche. Uh, it helps recruiting, you know, so many players come from the state of Texas. There's a lot of fans and Ar- you know, same things that a lot of the AM ADs and people say, is this a, a game that people like at AT&T from an Arkansas standpoint, or, or is it one that they'd like to see go back to Fayetteville? It's one that we would like to see come back to Fayetteville. I think at first, whenever we started this in 2014, 2015, when Bielema and Sumlin had those, uh, those two back-to-back overtimes, and, and of course, our A&M won both of those too. Um, that was when it was more, it had its luster at that time, at least from my perspective, I can't speak for everybody, but, but we do want it back in Fayetteville, call it uh, the home and homes. Now, uh, that's just, it's kind of one of those where, yeah, the shine is off the penny by now. And so we're ready yeah. for it to be back in college station or Fayetteville. So I've got three more years after this and then we'll, we'll, we'll be back there. So. Yeah, I have, I have a jaded perspective because I'm from Dallas, so it's always a free free trip back to home on the uh, the company's dime. So maybe that's why I'm, <laughs> I, I think it's a little bit better. But anyway, yeah, yeah I was always curious on on I knew AM's take, but I wasn't beyond what you read on Twitter. wasn't sure what Arkansas's take was. Yeah, no question. We've been talking with Travis Brown from the Eagle in College Station. Travis, man, it was great talking with you again. And uh, as we always say, always good luck to you down the road, except for this week. That's what I tell them all every single week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, pleasure talking to you all, and you all have a good one. Well, that'll do it for Episode 217 of the Hog Talk Podcast, brought to you by Bet Online For Kevin Bohannon, Porter Hayes, and all of us here at the Hog Talk, my name is Kyle Sutherland. We will see you on Monday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.